Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On the science revolution this week, Trump never noticed a modern-day American disaster. He's trying to spread the virus as far and wide as possible. We should call this today what history will call it when it looks back on this moment, genocide. David Kraft with the Nuclear Energy Information Services here. It's time to end Exelon's nuclear hostage crisis. Climate risks are compounding financial challenges for Midwest nuclear plants. Plus, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist II of Michigan drops by to explain that racism is a public health crisis. Stay tuned. Anthony Fauci this morning warning us that we could be in for a really tough time. Not the first time he said it. He said it many, many times that as the weather gets colder here in the Northern Hemisphere, people are going to go indoors. And the CDC had this recommendation on their website for a couple days until somebody wrote about it in the Washington Post. And then apparently came to the attention of the political people at the CDC who said, okay, get rid of that. Get rid of that right now. But what they had on their website was basically the World Health Organization's consensus of over 200 countries of the scientists in all these countries of how this virus spreads, which is that it is airborne. Now, the official position in the United States, until this was published and now, now that it's been taken down, the official position is, well, yeah, maybe droplets. Like if you're talking to somebody and there's some spray coming out of your mouth, maybe that's how it's transmitted. But what the CDC said for a few days was, no, it's transmitted not by droplets, but by mist particles, individual particles that are so small that they can float in the air for up to an hour. That you could be 10 feet away from somebody and if neither of you are wearing masks and you're in an enclosed area, odds are you're going to get infected. I mean, we've seen the studies from other countries, the South Korean study where the one person in the restaurant infected a bunch of other people. There was a similar study out of China. I think maybe it was out of Hong Kong. We have seen these. The Trump administration is choosing to downplay it. Donald Trump yesterday said, well, this virus uh, affects virtually nobody. Apparently, virtually nobody means 200,000 Americans and their families who are mourning them right now, ranging in age from the elderly to infants. Apparently, Trump hasn't noticed the damage his lack of coronavirus response policy has done to our economy and that millions of people have lost their jobs. And because they lost their jobs, they've lost their health care. And I mean, literally tens of millions of people are on the verge of eviction, homelessness and disaster as we speak. Apparently, Donald Trump hasn't noticed how the coronavirus is affecting the Americans who are suffering, they call themselves long haulers. There are blogs popping up all over the place for them, support groups on Facebook, etc., because they're suffering long-term damage to their heart, to their lungs, to their brains, to their kidneys. I mean, pick an organ. Apparently, he hasn't noticed all the people 
who are at high risk of death and serious disability who are sheltering in place right now, including people with asthma, people with heart disease, people with diabetes, 40% of the American population that is diagnosably obese, and people over 50. I suspect that if you add all those people up, they're a solid majority of Americans who are at high risk for dying or getting very, very sick if they get this disease. Apparently, he hasn't noticed that countries that took this virus seriously have only a few dozen or in some cases a few hundred deaths. Well, we just closed, we're closing in today on 200,000 dead Americans. And, you know, by Christmas, it'll be a quarter million dead. Apparently, he hasn't noticed that his herd immunity strategy didn't work well in countries like Brazil. And that if he continues with this herd immunity strategy, and that's openly and nakedly what they're doing, that means six million dead Americans. That's what he wants to hand off to the next president. Or if he continues to be president when he turns himself into dictator, that'll be the story that will not be allowed in the news. Just like in some of the other right-wing countries. Apparently he hasn't noticed that neither Taiwan nor Japan, great piece about Japan two days ago in the Wall Street Journal, they never shut down their economies. The Taiwan economy is scheduled to grow at 1.7% this year. They're back to normal. What did these two countries do that never shut down? Shutting down is like the sledgehammer. It's the blunt force instrument. What they did is they mandated masks. Everybody in the country must wear a mask all the time. Anytime you could be exposing yourself to other people. And widespread testing and contact tracing. The one thing he did notice, though, the one thing, you know, Donald Trump clearly noticed, as did Jared Kushner, as did Mike Pence, as did the people on the task force, when they decided to stop the post office from mailing five free masks to every American back in March, when they decided to stop moving the federal train, as it were, toward using the Defense Production Act, to require the production of masks and personal protective equipment for our hospitals, but specifically masks for every American. We're back now to a shortage of N95 masks here in the United States. I mean, this is how insane it is. But apparently what they noticed back when they made those decisions was that this virus was disproportionately killing elderly Social Security voters. Keep in mind, Trump has promised to destroy Social Security within three years and African-Americans and Hispanic people and Native Americans, black and brown people. Apparently he's noticed that. And to that end, it seems that he's trying to spread this virus as far and wide as possible. Yes, let's infect as many Americans as possible. It doesn't kill as many white people, you know. We should call this what history will call it when history looks back on this moment in the United States. Genocide. That is the policy, that is the practice that the Trump administration is pursuing. An intentional, willful extermination of hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Americans. If we do the herd mentality, as Trump calls it, the herd immunity strategy, six million Americans. The willful, intentional death of millions of Americans who are being apparently, according to this administration, sorted by race and age. You know, it just, it's not a big deal, Trump says in his rally yesterday. 
And Anthony Fauci this morning says, I'm in my 70s. It's a big deal to me. I mean, Trump was essentially saying, eh, old people to hell with them. Eh, you know, overweight people to hell with them. Eh, people who have diabetes and heart disease, let them die. We got to, you know, Darwin, he, it's a good thing. You know, you got to strengthen the herd by weeding out the weak. African-Americans, Hispanics, who are more likely to be on the front lines and face, these, face the probability of infection, who are less likely to have white-collar jobs where they can work from home and, and be remote, who are more likely to live in food deserts where what they're eating is actually contributing to things like diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Yeah, to hell with them. This is Trump's quasi-official strategy. Or do you think that by calling this genocide that I've gone over the top? So, New Mexico getting a radioactive waste dump? It's amazing that we're even still having these conversations. We've been debating this stuff since the 1960s. Kevin Camps is on the line with us. He's the nuclear waste specialist at beyondnuclear.org. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Tell us about this. The irradiated nuclear fuel, highly radioactive waste, is the same stuff that exploded and burned at Chernobyl. You know, they were in thick armored vehicles, right? And they were worried about getting killed through the armor. So, yeah, these containers they'd use for shipping the waste from mostly eastern reactors out to New Mexico, yeah, it's thick wall, but is it thick enough to survive a severe accident? Is it thick enough to survive a terrorist attack? Likelihood is no. They're probably going to have breaches and release contents, and it's going to be a radiological catastrophe. They're talking about shipping yeah. 10,000 giant containers out to New Mexico from eastern reactors and parking them in southeastern New Mexico, and chances are it'll just stay there at the surface forever. And uh, how are they going to be shipped? Is this by truck or by rail car? And what are the dangers associated with that? They say mostly rail because these containers are so big. They're 180 tons in weight, so they can't go down the interstate highways. They're too heavy. So it's mostly rail, but there's two dozen plus reactors in the country that lack direct rail access. So they're going to have to use either heavy haul trucks or barges on that front leg to get the waste to the nearest railhead, put it on a train, ship it out to New Mexico. In place like Michigan, those barge shipments are on Lake Michigan, into the port of Muskegon, on the Wisconsin side, into the port of Milwaukee. If one of these things goes down and releases its contents into Lake Michigan, that's going to poison the drinking water supply for 40 million people in two countries and a large number of Native American First Nations. There's a total of 129 commercial reactors, and fortunately, a lot of them have shut down. Not enough. There are still 94 operating. And at every one of these 129 commercial reactors in the country, they are still sitting on most or all of the high-level radioactive waste they've ever generated. And that's our preferred alternative to this insane Holtec plan in New Mexico is hardened on-site storage. And where that's not safe enough, then near site, as near as possible to the point of generation, to buy us some time to figure out what to do long-term. But instead, they just want to rush into this mobile Chernobyl campaign and stick it to New Mexico, which has already gotten it, you know, for 75 years, ever since Los Alamos set up shop, ever since the Trinity blast, it's been nuclear colonialism. 
and radioactive racism for the people of New Mexico who are majority minority. They are Latinx. They are indigenous. They are black. The minority is white. So guess where they're choosing to ship all of the high level radioactive commercial waste in the country? Amazing. And tell us about the part of New Mexico where they want to put this stuff. And what, are they just going to store it in in drums on the desert? I mean, how do they do this? Well, these canisters are stainless steel. They are thin-walled, so you need radiation shielding around these canisters, or you're going to get a fatal dose of radiation, just like in that Chernobyl testimony you read. So Holtec's plan is to dig pits in the desert floor and lower these things down in there. They've had problems with that process at San Onofre, California, for example. They almost dropped one. It's like a 20-foot drop, and it could have breached the canister if they had at San Onofre a couple years ago. So it's a very problematic plan. Uh, The environmental injustice is immense. So you've got a group like Alliance for Environmental Strategies, a Latinx uh, environmental justice group in southeastern New Mexico, the NRC licensing uh, panel would not even recognize their legal standing in the proceeding. So the NRC proceedings are an environmental injustice. And what do you got in that neck of the woods? You got uranium enrichment at Urenco, right in Eunice, New Mexico. You've got waste control specialists, national low-level radioactive waste dump a few miles away in West Texas. You've got the waste isolation pilot plant. That's military plutonium disposal all in this little neck of the woods with plans for more nuclear facilities. But this Holtec high-level radioactive waste dump, it would be the biggest such dump in the world, is, you know, just the biggest environmental injustice of all. And that's saying something. There was a lot of organized opposition to doing this to Nevada back in the day, back when Harry Reid was (laughs) from Nevada, was uh, running the Senate. Is there organized opposition to this? I mean, is is this a done deal or is this something in process? And if so, how could people insert themselves into that process? It's in process. Uh, Today is the last day for public comment on this proposal. And uh, so comments are going into the Nuclear Regulatory Commission by the thousands. At our homepage, beyondnuclear.org, we have simple web forms you can use to, you know, file your individual comments. We also have groups signing on to a coalition letter. We're over 100 groups now across the country. And with such efforts, we stopped the yucca dump for the past 33 years. Incredibly, Holtec and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission are assuming that yucca is still going to be the permanent repository. That's how they justify calling this plan in New Mexico interim or temporary. Yucca is not happening. And so this New Mexico dump is going to become de facto permanent surface storage. I call it a parking lot dump. Is this above the uh, Ogallala Aquifer? I mean, is there, if one of these things breaches in addition to the risk on the surface, is there an underground risk as well? There are aquifers beneath this New Mexico site. In fact, there are surface water bodies. Uh, Laguna Gatuna and Laguna Plata are immediately adjacent. So there are surface and groundwater impacts. The Ogallala is not far away. And in fact, that waste control specialist, low-level radioactive waste dump in Texas, 40 miles from this Holtec site, has also proposed a high-level radioactive waste consolidated interim storage facility, and WCS is right on top of the Oglala. They uh, changed the paperwork in their license application to make it look like the Oglala had moved. I mean, the Oglala fluctuates with rainfall (laughs) over time. It is right above the Oglala, so it would put eight states' Uh, groundwater at risk from, you know, Texas up to South Dakota. The Oglala Aquifer is named after the Oglala Lakota in South Dakota. That's how far that aquifer extends. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a big chunk of the central part of the United States. We're talking with Kevin Camps, the nuclear waste specialist at beyondnuclear.org. Kevin, you said that the that your preferred, and I assume you know when you said our, you're referring to beyond nuclear, but that your preferred way of dealing with the nuclear waste that's being produced by the nuclear power industry right now is on-site, secure, safe storage. What does that look like? And is that safe? We've got 200 groups from all 50 states who have endorsed hardened on-site storage. And what it looks like is get the irradiated nuclear fuel out of the pools to prevent catastrophic fires that are possible. And then put it into dry casks, yes, but dry casks that are well-designed, well-made, and then fortified against attacks, safeguarded against accidents, monitored for radiation, pressure, and temperature. None of that is going on. We're taking huge risks with the storage right now. And even if this New Mexico dump opened today, it would take decades to move all the waste out there. That means decades of risk at the reactor sites, inevitably. So why not do it right at the reactor sites? That's what we've been calling for for 20 years at this point. Are they proposing to do this on tribal land? Yes, the Mescalero Apache are nearby, and the Comanche have holdings. The Hopi have holdings down there. This is tribal land. Amazing. Amazing. Kevin Camps, nuclear waste specialist at Beyond Nuclear. You can get over to beyondnuclear.org today and register your objections about this with the NRC. Kevin, thanks for dropping by. It's always good talking to you. Sponsoring the interview this week is... Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tom Harmon here with you. On the line with us is the Lieutenant Governor of the state of Michigan, Garland Gilchrist II. Michigan.gov is the website. His Twitter handle is LTGOV, as in Lieutenant Governor. Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, in Michigan, you guys, I'm not sure exactly what role you played in this, but Michigan has essentially said that racism is a public health crisis. And, you know, at one level, I think this probably should be obvious to anybody who has you know, looked at the situation in America for the last 400 years. On the other hand, there are people responding to this with basic freak out. Tell us about it. Tom, first of all, it is always a pleasure to talk with you and be with you here. And yeah, so I'm proud to have played a major role in this and I've been able to work very closely alongside Governor Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, and our states had a very strong, we believe, uh, COVID-19 response. We were hit early. We were hit hard. 
But thanks to, frankly, the diversity in our leadership team of Governor Whitmer, myself, a black man, you know, highest ranking black elected official in the history of the state, our chief medical executive, Dr. Jonay Caldoun, who is also a dynamic black woman, we were one of the first states that started looking at race and ethnicity when it came to COVID-19 infections and deaths. And what we saw is that there were racial disparities in this pandemic, just like there's racial disparities um, in health outcomes for generations. And so that's why we created the Racial Disparities Task Force for COVID-19. We're the first state to take that action that will put the full force of state government behind reducing and eliminating disparities in COVID-19. And one of the things that we learned in that work was that, you know what, we need to zoom out even farther and look at all of the ways that state government can help to uh, address this public health crisis that has been caused by racism and by how racism has, has infected the way the systems have been designed, the way the barriers have been constructed for to block access to opportunities for people. And so we've unlocked the full power of state government to be able to do the data collection and the analysis and the policy change to be able to overcome the stain that racism has put on outcomes in our state and frankly be a model for the rest of the country. Back on uh, April 7th, on that day or the day before, let's say April 6th, the White House, the administration, the federal government right across the board and most of the states were all in on, oh, my God, there's this terrible virus coming. We've shut down the country now for three or four weeks. We've got to keep it shut down until we've got this under control. Jared Kushner and Trump and these guys had put together an entire plan to use the Defense Production Act to force the production of test kits so that we get a widespread testing, contact tracing. We're going to do everything right. And then April 7th, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News all broke the story. ABC, CBS, NBC all broke the story that African-Americans and Hispanics were dying about two to one to white people, uh, even though white people are the majority of, of people in America. And I was on the air and I said, you know, this is going to change the Republican Party's position on this. And sure enough, within a week. The Freedom Works, the, you know, the right wing group that the Koch brothers had been, you know, funded back in the day that brought us the Tea Party, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Republican Party, the Trump administration. All of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, well, then let's open the country back up again right now. And, you know, as a consequence of that, black and brown people are overrepresented in frontline, low paid positions and white people are overrepresented in white collar. I can work from home positions. And it's just rolled on since then. Can you speak to that, Garland, to this idea that even our national policy on COVID seems to have been, I mean, you don't have to buy into my, my conspiracy theory, but seems to have been altered by this information about race? Well, the truth is, uh, we can put the framing aside and just look at the facts, Tom. I mean, the truth is, President Trump, this should surprise no one that he, frankly, cares less about the health outcomes for black people and for people of color across the board. And so you talked about the fact that people of color are overrepresented in those jobs that have never stopped working, whether it's working at utilities or first responders or grocery stores or bus drivers. And so we tried to put in place worker protections at the state level because those didn't come from the federal level, from the federal government, from the Trump administration, because that was exposing black and Latino and Native American people to the virus more. We actually helped to, to lift the barriers that existed for testing because Trump didn't have a national testing strategy. He certainly was not interested in getting tests where they needed to go in places like Detroit and other places where we have high concentrations of people of color. But we did that and unlocked it and made it more accessible by creating drive-through testing and actually created drive-to testing because for people who are relying on public transportation, which are also more people of color than white people in, in Michigan, for example, 
Um, you can't take a bus to a drive-thru. And so we actually made, the, you know, works with Ford to make these mobile vans where we would drive tests to people in the community. So we tried to break down those barriers that the Trump administration eradicated with their negligence, their ignorance, and the, the racist outcomes of the policies that they put forward or the policies they did not put forward because they, you know, turned a blind eye, uh, a willing blind eye to this pandemic. Is it working? Yes, yeah, so we've been tracking this data, like I said, since the beginning. We had our first COVID-19 case on March 10th actually, which is the night of our presidential primary, incidentally. And what we are beginning to see is that the interventions that we've been taking as a state overall are shrinking that racial disparity gap. We're um, making sure that we're, we got all the, the, the you know, T's crossed and the I's dotted on that verification process. But we're getting data every week and we're seeing that it's having an impact. And we think that's a model for the rest of the country. So we're very proud of that and are looking forward to sharing it with everyone. That's absolutely marvelous. Garland Gilchrist II, the lieutenant governor for the state of Michigan, michigan.gov, Twitter handle LTGOV Gilchrist. And Garland, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, Please give our very best to Governor Whitmer and say hi to Ellen for for Louise and me. Absolutely, Tom. Take care. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.